This weekend, we're back in the book of Daniel. We were there last week. We're back here this week again, but we're in chapter six, chapter six in the book of Daniel. Now, if you were with us last week, you remember that in chapter three, we looked at the convictions that we have in our life, in particular, when those convictions, those beliefs, those things that we have built our life and our family, our faith on, when those things are tested. When the fire comes in our life, how do we stick with those convictions? Well, this week, we look at the second most famous account in the book of Daniel. For some of you, it might be the most famous. Last week was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. This week, it's Daniel in the lion's den. And the thing that I want us to see about this famous passage in Daniel in the lion's den is how lasting convictions are developed. You know, we talked about these convictions last week. Well, where do they come from? How can we have those in our life? And Daniel shows us that lasting convictions are developed through a lifetime of small, brave decisions, that what we do when we face opposition or adversity or difficulty, what we do, what we decide, whether we stand firm or not, makes all the difference in readying our heart for the big things ahead. And so let's pick up in Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, governors, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to the administrators so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. You may be asking, where did Darius come from? Last week, we saw Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Remember Babylon that came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the people, took the remnant of the people with them into captivity where they would spend the next 70 years or so, according to the prophecy of Jeremiah and those who came before Daniel and his friend, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were among the four of the wisest, best-looking, right? It's one time best-looking, it'll get you something, right? That were taken in to the king's court, if you will, his administration, where they would receive special training and would be put to work in his cabinet to advise him, to protect his rule, well, after Nebuchadnezzar was put out and his son became king, it wasn't long and the Persians, the Persians and the Medes came and they took over. And that is when this king, Darius, was appointed king over this huge, this huge nation. And now this newly appointed king, Darius, he was pretty intelligent about things. Unlike today when administrations switch, you, you've seen it and hopefully we'll see it again next year when the Democrats are out and the Republicans are in or vice versa, right? What do they do? They strip their entire cabinet, right? Whoever was with the first administration, they're out and they bring a whole new group in. Unless you're smart. 
And if you're smart, you're going to save those guys that did the job right. And you're going to bring them into your administration. That's exactly what King Darius does. He recognizes how Daniel served under Nebuchadnezzar, and so he brings him right along. In fact, Daniel served so well that, that he has, that, that King uh, Darius has plans to put him up over, over everything. Now, who does that remind you of? Remember back in Genesis around chapter uh, 37 or so? Uh, who does that remind you of? Uh, another man who was in a foreign land who served well. Joseph, right? Great, good for you. Joseph, remember Joseph? Joseph was, was sold out by his brothers. Joseph, who was taken into Egypt and, and made a slave in Potiphar's house. What did God do? He elevated him in that position because he served well. Soon he was wrongly accused. Anybody, anybody here caught a bad rap before? He was wrongly accused, landed in prison, and what did God do for him while he was? He elevated him through three or four different bad situations. Joseph was elevated. You remember, he got all the way up. There was no one power, more powerful than Joseph except for Pharaoh when this famine came. And we learned from that that God had Joseph in the right place at the right time to save his people. Joseph never compromised his convictions, and neither has Daniel. And so here's the first lesson I want us to build on this weekend. Building lasting convictions begins with obedience to God in the small decisions and the small choices that we make today. Now, how many of you use Google, right? We, we all use Google. If we use any search engine at all, it's Google. And, and you guys that use it, you know that as you type into that search bar, if, you have, if you've conducted previous searches on the search bar, what does it do for you? It, it starts filling it in based on your prior searches. It's a really cool thing unless you search something that you shouldn't have, right? And then your wife's on there and it comes up, you know, new cars and things like that. I don't know where your mind went, but, <laughs> but we build a search, uh, a search history. Well, Daniel, Daniel, he had a history with God long before he's thrown into the lion's den, uh, long before Darius, long before Nebuchadnezzar. He had a history of going to God. He had a history of being obedient to God. So when these troubling times came, his search bar was filled in already. He knew that God was faithful. He knew what came next. And the same thing is true in how we respond to adversity or praise God in the good times based on our obedience whether we respond in confidence in God or we respond with uncertainty, it builds a background. It builds a history between us and God. Daniel had this history long before. What does your history look like with God? How has that history over time, trusting him with certain circumstances, lining your life with his will and his word, which are one and the same, 
How has that impacted your convictions? Because your history with God, your faithfulness with God makes a difference. And if you don't have a history of obedience, well then begin today with the decisions that you face. It's not too late. Daniel stood out because he made tough choices from the time he was a youth. Notice how solid his faith is, his trust in at the age of 17, living in a world that had no convictions at all. How did he do that? Well, he believed that God's will takes precedence, that what God wants is more important than everything or everyone else. He believed and he understood that God, he was convinced that God is sovereign, that he's the ultimate authority, that nothing happens unless God allows it to. Doesn't that make a difference in your life today, those of you who have that conviction, the truth that God is overall, when things seem so out of control, you're able to hold on to that because we know that God ultimately is, that he doesn't let anything happen that doesn't pass through his hands first. Now, that may trouble you, unless you've had experience with him before. If you have a history with him before, then you know what? You know what his promises are, that he's not gonna leave you in the middle of that mess. He's gonna see you through. Daniel knew that God is omnipotent, meaning that his power is without limits. He can do anything. And his will, it permeates every aspect. It supersedes every part of life. King Darius himself would later confess, for he, God, is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. Do you know that you are part of the kingdom of God? Do you know that how that relates to you? This thing that is so much bigger than us, this faith that we have, God that we serve and who has called us into his service, no matter how bad things get here, we can be convinced of his, that his, of this, that his kingdom, you and I, we will endure. We will make it through. God's will takes precedence in, over everything. Verse four, this, the appointment of Daniel. It says, the administrators, the other administrators, and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. You hear what he's saying here? Daniel served so well, and, and I want you to realize that he was in adverse conditions, right? He, he was not there by choice, but he served well by choice. Why did he serve well? Because that's who he is inside of him. That's what God commands of us, no matter our situation, that we stay true to our convictions. He stayed true to his convictions, and you know what? It tore up the people around them. That happens, doesn't it, when you're working out in the world? and you're different than others, you don't take the same cuts, short paths, you don't show up for work late for stupid things like the third time your hot water heater went out in three months, right? 
But you show up, you do your work, not just to get by, but you do the best that you can because you're God's son or daughter. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. When developing the staff here at Memphis, it's such a great, great group of men and women that we have serving here. Long service with us here. But one of the things that we talk about all the time is what it is to be above reproach. This is what Daniel is right here. This is what Joseph was back in Genesis, above reproach. Well, what does that mean? That means that we are so consistent in our convictions that yes, anybody, anybody could accuse us of something. But because we are consistent, because we are above reproach, it will not stick. It will not stick. But if we compromise, if every once in a while we just make an exception to those things that are so important to this ministry, when we compromise, what does that mean if someone accuses us? We might as well be guilty because there's not been consistency. The other administrators in the satraps are a perfect example of what it is to have no relationship with God. There's no rules. There's no moral compass. They'll do whatever it takes to find a way to discredit Daniel, including using his own faith against him. Verse 5. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless... Unless we use his own faith against him. And so in verse six, listen to their plan. These guys get together, they go before King Darius, and they say, oh, King Darius, live forever. You know the type. Oh, King Darius, live forever. We've all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except for you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, it seems kind of stupid, but these guys know what they're doing. They know what they're doing because unlike here in the United States where one party makes a decree, one party makes a law, brings into legislation, makes an executive decision, when the next party comes in, what do you do? You undo it as fast as you can. Praise the Lord for some of that. But it's hurtful in other times like what we've been experiencing. And so these Persians, they're pretty sharp people. They put an end to that by saying this, that any edict of the king sticks. The next dude that comes in can't change it no matter how good or how weak he is, it stays. And so these guys are no dummies. They may be fools, but they're no dummies. Because they go to the king and they get him, they know that if he signs off on this, that there's nothing that he or anyone else can do to change this law. And in verse nine, the king signs off on it. You see, one of the convictions Daniel formed from an early age, one of the things that he held to tightly was that of prayer. That of prayer. He, he was a prayer warrior. He, he didn't just pray those prayers, those Hail Mary prayers, right? That, that Lord, uh, I messed up, get me out of this. Those, those, those prayers that we utter after we've tried everything else ourselves to fix it. 
He didn't pray that God would make him wealthy if he, if he obeyed this command or that God would get set him free if he did these things. He didn't bargain with God. No prayer just once in a while, but he prayed multiple times a day to God. Multiple times a day. And that's lesson number two. You want to build lasting convictions, don't wait until you're in the lion's den to begin praying. But pray continuously. Pray in the good times. Pray in the troubling times. I had a sweet lady, she attends Saturday night service, told the same story last night while she was here. She came to me a month or two ago, and, and this woman has prayed all of her life. She, she's a great, solid Christian. She came to me, she said, David, I've got a question. It's really been bothering me. But, but when I finish my prayer, is, is it okay to say, good night, God? Is it okay to say, I'll talk to you in the morning? And I said, if you've got that kind of relationship with him, absolutely. Good for you. It doesn't say you have to say amen at the end of every prayer. In fact, I said to her, we always want to be respectful. That's why I don't call him daddy. That's why I call him father. It's respectful. We want to be respectful. But you know what? I told her, I said, a lot of times I don't say Amen. Why? Because he's going to be with me the rest of the day. It's like saying goodbye to somebody who's jumping in the car with you and going to work. You don't do it, right? You say, let's go, and we talk throughout the day. This is what Daniel's doing here. This is what's being described to us, is this continuous conversation. Verse 10 says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, that it had become law, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. And here's the key word, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. What does your prayer history, what does your history look like of talking with God? Is it limited to a rote prayer that, you were taught to recite as an act of contrition? Is it awkward for you? Is it awkward for you because you rarely speak directly with him? Is it one of those things that, that you're so fearful and that's the only time you pray to God because, because you've never really prayed other than listening to a prayer at church? I've got to tell you, and, I, and, and I, I'm trying to be nice but at the same time, I've got to tell you something, folks. If you're a Christian and you're one of those people that, that if I said right now in this room, if I said, hey, who wants to pray? We all do this. A majority of us do that. If you're in constant conversation with God, your hand should be up in the air because it's just like talking to your best friend. You should be ready to go at all times. And it doesn't have to be something flowery because it has nothing to do with anyone else but you and God. And so I ask you, if you're fearful or if you're just unsure about the words, well, then you need to step it up a little bit in your relationship with him. You need to have the conviction that you are talking to him throughout the day 
every day. My friends, there is no greater friend than Jesus Christ. There's no greater comfort. There's no greater guide. Daniel, he went right back to his apartment. He he went right back to his room, the same place that he always went to. And he prayed the same way that he always prayed. 1 Thessalonians 6.16 in the New Testament, we're told to what? Pray without ceasing. Listen to the rest of it. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To me, it sounds kind of like prayer is more of a constant than it is sporadic. Sounds like whether the, the situation is great or whether it's challenging, having a consistent prayer time with God's important. And more importantly, what it tells me is that this is the kind of communication, this is the kind of relationship that God wants. It's his will for us. The psalmist wrote, because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. You know, when someone's listening, it makes a big difference in these mornings like this. When someone's listening, oh, we will talk. We will talk and talk and talk. My friends, God hears you. He is listening. He hears every word. And if you're a Christian, his spirit inside of you, the Bible says, even prays with you and for you in words that we couldn't even begin to formulate, in ways that that we can't even touch today. Knowing that Daniel could be found throughout the day praying, verse 11 says, these men went as a group, they found Daniel praying and asking God for help, and so what do they do? They go whining to the king. They're tattletales. They go to the king. They spoke to him about his royal decree. You know, oh, king, may you live forever. You remember that decree that you signed off on, the one that's irrevocable? Well, guess what? Your man, Daniel, the one that was with Nebuchadnezzar, then with his son, and now you brought him in, Daniel, he is defying your decree. There's nothing to be done but throw him in the lion's den. And you know what? I think it was at that very moment that King Darius realized he had been had. (laughs) He's not shown any other signs of foolishness. But these men, these men, they didn't care anything about whether people bowed down to Darius or not, whether they prayed to him or not. What they cared about was how they looked. And what they cared about is what they could do to persecute and to hurt those who do live a moral life, a life of integrity, who serve well because of their relationship with God. The king understood that the edict he signed was solely for the purpose of setting Daniel up. And verse 14 is worth mentioning. It says, when the king realized that the law was irrevocable and he had to sentence Daniel to the lion's den, listen, he says he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and he made every effort until sundown to save him. But he couldn't. And so in verse 16, the king gave the order. They brought Daniel. They threw him into the lion's den. 
And King Darius said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually. Oh, how would your friends describe your relationship, my relationship with God, whom you serve? Darius isn't a follower of God, but it's very obvious that Daniel is, that you serve continuously. Let God rescue you. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring, the rings of his nobles. Why? So that Daniel's situation could not be changed. Sounds a lot like when Jesus was taken down off the cross and placed in the tomb. What did they do, the Romans? They sealed the tomb. They took the little wax seal, they put the ring in it. Why? So that they could be certain that his situation would not be changed. You see, we need to understand that our fate is sealed only by God, no matter the lions we face. We need to be convicted that it is God who will rescue us. We see this throughout the account of Daniel. Daniel's taken into captivity at 15, 17 years old, and what, what does God do? He gives him a position in the king's court. Those who were jealous of Daniel conspired to trap him in his own faith. But instead, we're about to see that they're the ones who would be trapped. So the king covered the mouth of the lion's den with the stone. He sealed it with his ring. That night, it says, the king didn't want to be entertained. He didn't watch YouTube. He didn't even eat. Verse 19 says that first thing in the morning, the king got up himself. He hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, there it is again, has your God been able to rescue you from the lions? And he heard Daniel's voice, O king, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, above reproach. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. King, I have served you. I've not done anything deceptive. I've always been honest with you. And it says, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no scratch was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Last night, we celebrated Melinda Dalton. Melinda, she'd come to us, come to her church family, diagnosis of breast cancer. She went for the full surgery, double mastectomy. She came home with four drains, most painful part of the surgery, then down to three drains, then two, finally one a couple weeks ago, she showed up in church looking better than ever. Tan, alive. First thing she did was go back and got the baptistry towels that nobody attended to from all these baptisms, washed them, folded them, got them ready for the next weekend. They did the genetic testing. They did the pathology. She was hoping for a score somewhere 25 or less. She scored a one. 
that means she's good to go. No chemo. She, she caught me last night. She said, are, are we going to... Yeah, that's, that's good. <clears throat> Let me ask you, though, who are you applauding? Yes, that's right, because he is the one. He does this so that he can be glorified. Yes, Melinda got the benefit of this one. But it's about God being glorified. And why do we want to glorify God? So that other people will come to know him. That's the purpose of our life. That was Daniel's purpose in the lion's den. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's purpose. That was Joseph's purpose. And it's your purpose and mine. Paula Stewart. Paula Stewart has been here for years. She used to sit right back there. Her husband got Lewy body disease, which is a terrible form of dementia. Not only does it rob you of your mind, but it robs you of your body. She cared for him for over a year as he lay on the couch of her home. Beautiful, vibrant woman when he died. Within weeks, she began exhibiting very similar characteristics. Only for her, it was, for, it was Parkinson's. And last week, she reached an all-time low. She had not required 24-hour care, and now she required 24-hour care. She was hospitalized for a few days. She was sent home. She had no appetite. Everything tasted bad. Truth be known, services were called to help take care of her. I know Paula's watching this morning from home with her caregiver, so I want to be respectful to that. I don't know that Paula even understood how sick she was. I stopped by this week. I'm good for one thing, and that's dropping off milkshakes. So I got every flavor because I didn't know which one was her favorite. But she sat there and she drank part of that vanilla milkshake, and we prayed. Well, last night, one of her caregivers came running up to me and he, she said, David, Paula's got her appetite back. Paula can taste again. Paula, she got up with her walker and walked. She'd been in a wheelchair for the last week because she didn't have the strength. Now listen, God, God was glorified through her faithfulness. Now listen, Paula's eventually gonna go home to the Lord. Good for her. But for right now, he's given her another chance Scott Coots Scott Coots who's been helping us with the project there's no secret now you see the sign out front and I, and I just want to tell you how that happened Scott called the sign company that he uses Scott does big big projects this is like a tool shed compared to what he does Scott helped us on phase one he's back on phase two he doesn't charge this church a thing for what he's doing that's around a $200,000 gift if you understand what construction is and what that is. And he doesn't want any credit for it, doesn't want anything. And so when the sign was put out there, he called me immediately when the sign company sent him a picture and he said, David, I'm so embarrassed. I'm on the way to the church now to apologize. They put a big sign out there and I saw a picture of it. And I said, Scott, the only thing that needs is a picture of you on there. Are you, and it'll look like you're running for office. But he was so embarrassed by that he said, I only wanted a little sign so that the subcontractors would know where to turn in and what to do. You've seen the other signs he put out there, real small construction this way. Anyway, I came down here and I looked at the sign. I'm like, Scott, Scott, we're going to leave that sign in place. 
because we want to do what we can to encourage others to use your company. He's a Christian man. He's a humble man. He was part of this church family a long time ago when I first came, and he's made it his job to encourage us and to help us. So when you see that sign out there, I just want you to know, I just want you to know. But Scott, several weeks ago, he, he gave me something. Scott, had, we're, we're with each other at least three times a week working on this project. And one day, I just was not my normal self. And uh, he noticed. He said, what's wrong? I said, I just, just got back from funeral, really tough. And anyway, three months later, he comes, he calls me, he says, I want to meet you at church. And I'm like, right now? And he said, yeah, right now. I was like, oh, crap, he's got a bill. Can't we put this off for three weeks, Scott? No, 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 got to meet you now. And so he pulled something out of his car and is wrapped in two Kroger sacks. That's the way men wrap presents, okay? <laughs> so I pulled the sack off, and, and it was this picture, and, and you guys probably can't see it. The front row can barely see it. But it's a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. <laughs> and he said, Dave, I thought of you. I keep this picture right next to me on my bookshelf at eye level. But the thing that I didn't notice until this week was Daniel here. Dave, who did such a great job right here playing guitar, you know, Dave's receding hairline, his gray hair. I mean, he's got to be every bit of 90 years old. That's what Daniel looks like. In fact, I'm not even for sure he's got his teeth in for the picture. And I realized something. The Daniel in the children's story that I used to hear and grew up hearing as a kid, I always pictured Daniel as... 20, 25 years old, this strong buck, young in his faith. Daniel's 85, 90 years old from what I can figure when he's thrown into the lion's den. You see, age and life circumstances are never an excuse for setting our convictions to the side. Now, I want you to let that soak in for a minute. Because I'm going to ask those of you who are my age, those of you who are in your 60s and 70s today, and because God has been gracious to you, those of you who are in your 80s today, where will God find you? What lion's den have you been in in the last couple of months? Because it isn't going to happen sitting in, at home in front of your TV. It isn't going to happen in retirement when you say, I've served and I'm done. You see, for the Christian, we stand by our convictions until the day God, the King of Kings, comes and lifts us out of the lion's den. I don't want to be found asleep in my chair at home. There's no retirement. There's no stepping back from your convictions. You say, well, what do you want, our money? I want everything. Because that's what God wants from you. You are valuable. You are needed. You are a part of his kingdom. You have an influence on people that no one else can have. You are to be teaching us who are younger. You're to be showing these young women how to be women and men, how to be men. And you don't do that when you're sitting at home. And if you're watching online and you can go to Walmart and you can go to the doctor, you can be right here in God's house. And we've lost our conviction, people. And we need to have that type of conviction right now in order to carry it through our adulthood. 
just as King Darius was the one who came and lifted Daniel up out of the lion's den, so the king of kings, the lion of Judah will come and he will one day lift us up out of our den. The thing for us is we better be in one because of our convictions, because of our faith. And for those who are just coming into their teenage years, I spoke to a room of them last night. I want you to remember that Daniel formed these convictions long before Babylon, long before Darius, long before the lion's den. You're never too young to build these convictions. And mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, foster parents, you are the one. It's another reason why you're never too old. This generation needs you. They need you more than than ever. The men who had conspired against Daniel, the men who had no convictions, look at verse 24. It says they were brought in, thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. See, these lions, they were hungry when Daniel was in there, just as they were hungry the next morning when these fools were thrown in there. And you say, well, God, it's just another example of that wrathful Old Testament God throwing these poor women and these poor children in there. Do you, do you not get it? The reason why these, this is such an example and such a hardship for us The reason why these kids and these wives are destroyed is because their dads didn't do their job. Because their parents didn't watch out for them. You see, if you raise your kids to have no convictions, if they have no faith, no trust, and I don't mean just showing up, but if you don't teach them how to rely on God in everything, then they're gonna get eaten alive by the lions in this world. It's why they go off to school and they lose their faith. You think it's just a rite of passage. It's not. It's an evaluation of what we've done as parents and what we've done as a church. And I praise God that we're a church that isn't going to let that happen anymore. We haven't let it happen for the last generation. You see these kids that have stayed, that come home, when you came home from college, it's the first place you showed up. Was church camp to serve for a week? Or to sit on the third row and worship service? To greet at the door? These are kids with convictions. And they got them for many of you in this room. I keep this picture in my office right at eye level. Because I never want to be that guy that sets my convictions aside. And if there's one thing you take away from Daniel this weekend, I pray that you develop the same type of convictions. I look at that picture and I see that old toothless man standing there waiting for the king to come and pull him out. You and I should be standing there facing whatever lion's den we've been placed in because of our faith. And we should stay there until the king comes and lifts us out. Thank you for being one of those ladies. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Daniel. 
Thank you, Father, for all of those in this generation and those that we can lay eyes on right now who, like him, develop convictions, real convictions, that we stay true to our commitments because those commitments represent our commitment to you, that we love our families and that we stay through the hard times in our families, not just to get through, but to, to show that you are the king of our lives, to glorify you by facing the challenges that we face in this life. Father, I pray for this generation, this generation that's in the room, and I'm not talking about young people, I'm talking about 60s, 70s, 80 years old too. Lord, may we see today the error of our ways, thinking that we can be finished thinking that the next generation's going to do what we've done? Oh, God, may we be convicted today by your Holy Spirit and by your word to not be that person. But may every one of us be found devoted, true to you in this lion's den of a world that you've placed us for now. Until you return, Lord, find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know him that way tonight, this morning? Do you have questions about some of the things that we've talked about, questions about your convictions? Maybe you came today. It's been a long time since you were here, and you just need somebody to encourage you to be back next week. I love to encourage. David and I will meet you back at the Next Steps area. Whatever next step you need to take, we'll help you. We'll help you do that. Some of our prayer team will be back there as well. The rest of you who are solid, who are continuing to build your convictions, well, then you worship and you celebrate the King of Kings today. And you be reassured of the solid ground that you stand on.